0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Berwyn United Methodist Church podcast, where each week we deliver the previous Sunday's message. This week, for Sunday, November 12th, 2023, we look at the passage in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, where God uses imagery to describe how He raised up His people as if He were teaching them how to walk, and He raises them to His cheek and remembers with fondness. The relationship with it that they had. But we also get the sense that things are not what they used to be. The relationship's gone sour. The people are no longer turning to God for help. The very things that He used to show His love, the people are now seeing as chains. And as a result, God is frustrated, willing to let His anger go and let the people do whatever they're going to do and whatever consequences come they deserve. But God remembers that God is God that he's not overrun by human emotions, and so he relents and turns back to his people, longing for that relationship that he once had to come back. As we begin this week's message, we'll begin with prayer. We'll read the weekly passage, turn to the sermon, and then turn to the week's pastoral prayer. I hope you'll listen in to the end and join in those prayers. And if this is a blessing to you, we hope you might consider supporting the church and its ministry by going to our website at berwinumc.org give. And now we turn to God in prayer. Loving God, we forget how good you are to us, how you re- constantly show your love to us, inviting us to follow you, inviting us to return to you, inviting us to live a better way. In these moments, let us turn to you now, so that in doing so, your spirit might uh, open our ears and soften our hearts, so that we might experience and feel your presence in our midst. And in doing so, may we be transformed. In the moments ahead, in the midst of our worship, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. So whether through me or in spite of me, we might hear your words speak to us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. From the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, The more I called them, the more they went away from me. They kept sacrificing to the balls and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift up infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt and Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am a God and no mortal. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've jumped forward a good deal again. We're finished with the part of the Bible traditionally known as the historical books, Kings and Chronicles and and the narrative story that flows. We're coming into the, the writings of the prophets where poetry abounds, where this message of calling God's people back to God, telling them that the path that they're on will not lead to good things. They are telling them the prophets are less trying to predict the future that these things will happen so much as to say, if you keep going down this path, these things are going to happen. They're reading the writing on the walls. They're seeing what fruit will come from the seeds that they're sowing, and they're trying to stop them. They're trying to keep them from going further and further so that they might turn back to God. Just last week, we had this contest between uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the people clearly saw the power of God when uh, Elijah had prayed for God to, to ignite the wood and, and the offering. And God not only did that, but also destroyed the rocks and the dust and the water in the trough surrounding it. And the people said, All right, this is legit. You are my God, we'll follow you. And we're already at Hosea in this beautiful metaphor of who God is and what the people have done. Now, this is a metaphor. This is a, a, an image that many of you may relate to. As I was hearing the words read, I was re- as I was reflecting on them, the, the image that c- kept coming to mind was incredibly personal. I have two children, many of you have met. And I remember the times when they were first learning how to walk. They were unsteady on their feet. They would pull themselves up to stand at the couch or the coffee table. And then they would just start reaching a little further away to get to either me or to Rebecca or to something that they wanted. And they would reach and they would reach and they would go so far. And then usually they would reach just a little bit too far and then kind of plop down. And they were eager to take those first steps. They were eager to walk, and they wanted to walk towards us. For they loved us, and they knew we loved them. The other moment that comes to mind is is sometimes they would reach away from the couch, and if we were close enough, they would grab our hands... And then they would grab one hand with one one of theirs and the other hand of ours. And we would walk across the living room to where they wanted to go. Between our feet. And they were so happy. And we were so happy. And this is the image of God that Hosea is sharing with us. I taught Ephraim how to walk. As a loving parent, I raised them as an infant to my cheek to feel the warmth of their skin, the soft mist. I could smell the baby smell of them. That's how close God has become to his people. The imagery that we hear in this story, in this passage, is one of God choosing his people, the adoptive child that is welcomed into the family, that is welcomed and loved as if his own. We imagine God thinking back on these times, remembering these times of joy, when Ephraim, the Israelites, walked with him, and they were steady, growing steady on their feet, and they loved him, and they expressed that love, and they grew together. But we get the clear sense that God is thinking back on this time. This writing is portrayed from the perspective of, of God. And, and God is thinking back and saying, I remember those times when they would reach out for my hand and grab onto them so that I could help them walk to where they were going. I remember the time where they were still so small and precious and they wanted to be near me that I was able to raise, the, pull them in and hold them close. But now they're teenagers. Now, my kids are not teenagers yet. I'm not looking for that time, word to that time. Every once in a while, somebody will ask me how old my kids are. And then I tell them and they say, oh, you've got maybe two years left while they still love you and want to be around you. Maybe three. Hopefully they always love me. But I know that as they grow they're going to try to reach out and and walk on their own. They're going to step out of the safety. They're going to test boundaries. They're going to push against what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. They're going to try as they grow into more mature people, they're going to push against those boundaries. And those boundaries, I know for most parents, happen to be right next to those nerves that we'd rather them not push against. For some reason, Their boundaries seem to touch our nerves. And there is something, and I say this having been a teenager who have done this, not as one who has experienced it from the parent's side, that sometimes we can be mean. Sometimes teenagers, with the words that they choose, the actions that they do, Whether they mean to or not, whether it's biology and hormones and they've lost control of all of their senses, I have no idea. Again, I'm speaking from having grown up on the side and not yet experienced the other side of this relationship. Sometimes the words that we choose just hurt. And this is where God is in this passage. He's remembering fondly what was, and he's experiencing Israel as that teenager that hurts, that presses against those nerves, that keeps going astray, keeps doing the things that you know and they know they're not supposed to do. In God's point, they're going back to Baal. They're raising incense to idols. They're turning away from the one that taught them to walk and brought them out of Egypt the one that had provided manna and food in the desert, that cared for them, that raised them up, that showed so much love in just choosing them and welcoming them in as their own. And the people still turn away. And God, sometimes we think of God as this... uh, distant being, this unemotional God, this unemotional being, because if God has emotions, then surely we're over, going to be overrun. But God is experiencing from this, in, this, in this poetry, this loss and this transformation and this pain of this relationship that was, that seemed so real and so intent, but so short amount of time has now transitioned. And God, in the midst of this, is angry. He said, "Fine, I will leave them to what they're doing. They're making backroom deals with kings next door. They're worshiping gods. They're they're turning away. They're doing pressing all of God's buttons. I mean, don't worship other gods. Don't worship idols. These are like hot button issues. Part of the ten things that God said: just just don't do these things. You could do a whole lot of other things, and we'll work on that." But don't do these ten things. I mean, it's that boundary that's right next to the nerve, you can imagine. That's immediately what they're doing. And all of these actions, all of these things that the Israelites are doing, has consequences. The things that we do in this world, when we make decisions, when we fail to make decisions, when we choose something, we necessarily don't choose something else. And this is something that, again, teenagers often need to learn. When you choose to go to this event, you can't go to this event that's at the same time. As adults, we need to learn that as well. But to be fair. And God is ready to say, and it seems like he's saying, okay, you want other gods? Go worship them. You want to, other, to work with other kingdoms that aren't mine, that I'm not in control of, that don't honor me? Have at it. But because you're gonna do that, you're going to be under Assyrian rule. The gods are going to fail you. You're going to be lost and live under the sword. As parents, I'm sure you've had those moments where they're going, they're pushing those buttons, pushing those boundaries, and you're ready to say, fine, have at it. Whatever happens to you is your own fault. Just keep going because I've done everything that I could for you. And I just don't have it in me right now to keep going. If you've ever had those thoughts, it's okay. God had these thoughts. But what does he say next? How can I stay angry at Ephraim, at Israel? How can I remain so angry at them that I'd let them fall into ruin? How can I let them keep going down that path? How can I make it so that I can even hear their cries, that they do not rise up to me? How is it that I could be so angry that I let my child whom I helped raise and helped learn to walk, go down this path. And God's anger relents. He remembers what was. He thinks about what could be. And in the midst of that, he says, if I were human, these emotions would overwhelm me. This anger would compel me, but I'm not human. I'm God, and my compassion, my mercy, my forgiveness—it's not like human compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. It will not end. And in those moments, we see God, who is justified in the anger we can relate to the anger but he shows another way he cho- chooses to dig deep into that compassion to dig deep into that mercy and to dig deep into that forgiveness so deep that he gave us his son his mercy and grace are so great that even while we were still choosing to rebel, even while we ourselves choose to abandon God, to test those boundaries and those limits, to push not only against them, but to run headlong through them, and God still doesn't say to us, well, if that's what you're going to do, I'm just going to let you do it. He could do that. But instead he says, I love you so much, that I'm going to give you my son who will show you how to walk again, how to live again, how to love again, how to be with those who are sick and hurting and in prison, who are hungry and thirsty, and I will show you that he will show us the right way to live. And when we still don't get it, he will die because of doing all of those things. Showing us how not to hold on to that anger when other people push our boundaries. We have a God whose son cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? While also crying out onto the cross, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Encapsulated in this, in this passage in Hosea, and the life and death and resurrection of Christ, a God that says you can feel that anger, you can feel abandoned, you can feel hurt by what other people do, but treat them just as I treat you. Remember who they are. Remember that they are my beloved children and whom I died for. And if my anger does not stay kindled against them, How can yours? It takes a while to get there. It takes intention to remember who people are. It takes intention to remember who we are. To say I should stop pressing those boundaries and those buttons. But trusting in the one who loves us beyond all measure, who will never let us go, who continues to call us back to follow and invite other people to experience that love for themselves. we truly become people of God. We become more like him when we let our human anger and our human emotions not overwhelm us. Not that it's wrong to have them, but that we remember to stop them from overwhelming us so that we don't abandon the lost. We don't abandon the hurting. We don't abandon those who hurt us. God truly shows us a new way, a better way, and he does so by showing us what he has done for us. This is the hope of the church. This is the future that we offer to a world that is hurting. This is the message of forgiveness and of transformation that we, as a church, have been given to share to the world. And I hope that we've lived it out enough and experienced it enough for ourselves to share it with others. Just a few moments, we'll be transitioning into our, our hymn of response. But before I do that, again, I try to direct you out at the end of the service to, uh, there's coffee over there, there's refreshments to eat, uh, there's time to be spent either in the library, around the table, sitting in the parlor, where you can talk about what we've discussed this day. What does it mean? Where are those times where you know you've pressed God's buttons and he's offered forgiveness? What are those things that you're doing now? that's pushing against what God might be wanting for you, that you say, yeah, I really need to turn away from that? Or to bring it more uh, physical, is there somebody now who is pressing your buttons, that you're close to that point of saying, all right, I'm done with you. I can't go on. Whatever happens, happens. Who might that be? And is there a way to rewind the clock a little bit? To find a way back from being overwhelmed by that feeling so that you might find hope and healing in that relationship? This is how we live out God's example here on earth. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks that we have been called together as your people in this place, in this community. We pray for one another, for the uh, prayer requests that have been lifted aloud this day, for those in our lives who are hurting and in need of healing. So We lift up Rosalie. We lift up all those who are in need of your care. We pray for the Deshong family and all those who grieve the loss of Wanda and Adam. We pray for all the people that passed through our doors yesterday that they might have received and continue to receive and experience your presence and your grace in their life. And in the midst of tragedy and loss may feel some sense of your peace and may that peace grow. We pray for those who crossed through our doors in last night's dinner, who found companionship, who found uh, joy and laughter over the course of that meal. We pray for all those whose hands in service to you made it happen. We pray for those in our community who are hurting, those who are hungry, those who are lonely, those who are struggling with addiction, those who are unsure of who they are, whether they have a place in this world. We pray for the families of all those who have decided that they didn't. We pray for those that we know like Serenity and pray for others in our community, in our nation. We pray for all those lives who have been taken due to gun violence help us to see a better way help our leaders to find a better path to say no more there has to be something that can be done show us as we come to you in prayer we ask that you to work for you to work through us to be your hands and feet and voice crying out in a wilderness Prepare for you and your ways. Help us as your church to be a beacon to all those who feel lost and alone and in the dark. Through our ministries that are both here in our community and around the world, may lives be touched. We pray for the Cuyec program in Kenya and the work that they're doing through their food pantry and other work that they're doing that we are just a small part of that they may be a blessing to those that are hurting. But we pray for people all over the world, some that we know, some many, most that we don't, situations that we're aware of and most that we're not, solutions that we're aware of and most that we're not. In the face of it all, it seems way too overwhelming, and yet you call us to return to you, to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you, not for our sake, but for the sake of others. We pray for all those who face the threat of violence. We pray for Israel. We pray for Palestine. We pray for innocent lives lost. and We long for a lasting and true peace that is not just the absence of conflict, but is the presence of reconciliation and life. If there is any way, O God, that we might be your answer to someone's prayers this day, If there is any way that you can use us to be your hands, your feet, your loving embrace in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, show us, give us the courage to do so, call us back to you when we refuse or we're too afraid, help us to live as Christ lived, help us to be willing to die for the sake of others as Christ was willing to die. But above all, help us to remember our compassion and not let feelings of anger and hate and betrayal overwhelm us so that we may be your people. And as your people, seeking to follow you wherever you may go as your disciples, we together pray the prayer that Christ taught his disciples so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven,